0: just reminded of a clip with Denzel Washington uh, from 1995 when he was, he was, it it just came up in the archives with him talking about you, Dad. Yeah. And he was (laughs) saying how you're uh, ahead of your field in, in technology. (laughs) And it was Denzel saying, oh, Brett Leonard is ahead of his field in technology.
1: He said something like he's ahead like a hundred years or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it was promotional. For the so film virtuosity, podcast, you know, so. For so this but, podcast, uh,
0: I think it would be interesting to discuss what your vision of the Oscars would be in the metaverse. Like how how would you yes. experience the Oscars in the metaverse?
1: Obviously, Oscars are a bit top of mind. They just uh, they just happened Sunday evening, Sunday night uh, here in Los Angeles. There was a lot of historic aspects to this Oscars, uh, a lot of great uh uh, inclusivity with uh, CODA winning best picture. Jane Campion, uh, amazing woman director who has done incredible body of work, uh, won for Power of the Dog as best director. The best supporting actor went to a deaf actor, which is the first time that's ever happened in history. I mean, it was a very historic Oscars, although the Oscar you know, audience has been going down and down and down for many years, which Actually, there was a great article in the New York Times last week about, are we watching the decline of the Oscars or the decline of the movies in general? And it's a, a great article about analyzing what's happened to feature films, the theatrical experience of feature films, obviously impacted by the pandemic, but many, many more factors that happened before the pandemic and how what's happening with the Oscar you know, telecast is just a kind of reflection of that. Now, of course, the most... In, in many ways historic, but also infamous uh, event was Will Smith getting up, slapping uh, Chris Rock upside the head and screaming obscenities at him about the fact that Chris Rock told a uh, insensitive joke about Will Smith's, you know, his wife, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. And I understand, you know, that that was a sensitive thing. As a person of Hollywood for, you know, the last over 30 years, this moment for me, pointed up the hypocrisy of Hollywood. Celebrity is the final equation that really matters to Hollywood. And that, that's sort of what was shown. More so than, you know, the fact that no one should be allowed to have a moment of violence in the middle of an award show like that, no matter what the issues. I mean, I don't know if you, I've seen, I saw Ricky Gervais do a couple Oscar telecasts, at least one anyway, where his, his jokes were way more off color than that. Uh, Now, I'm not condoning the joke. I'm not condoning the insensitive insensitivity of it. Uh, But at the same time, two days later, uh, the Academy comes out condemning the violence as opposed to right then during the telecast. And I think one of the things that may happen in the context of this, you know, this era of the metaverse is that the metaverse is going to have governance. The metaverse is going to have a different kind of governing principle Obviously, this goes to this whole idea of DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, how they're governed, how they're governed with smart contracts, how they're governed through blockchain provenance, how they're covered, you know, with with AI, uh, and there's going to be a necessity for certain amount levels of behavior being, you know, someone in within the ethical framework of the metaverse, and others not, and this just points up. That, that as a as a moment of discussion anyway.
0: Well, I think they tweeted out they made that tweet right after
1: the broadcast about condemning the violence and it, no they it, they they, they said we don't condone violence right after the broadcast then the next day they said we condemn it.
0: What would this be like in the metaverse? What what would like if you were there? Like it's almost like could you actually stand on stage, and and you know be, and actually witness this? And and if there were digital av- avatars. Yes. Would you what, what would that even be like? You know, I think I, I mean, obviously it takes the kind of well, physical this, this, gets, of
1: this gets down to the idea that why do people watch the Oscars? Right. They watch it to be close to those people they love in the movies. They watch it to be close to the movies, the magic of the movies and the magic of those celebrities. They watch them on the red carpet posing for cameras. I always think taking video people posing for cameras is kind of stupid because you look stupid when you're posing for stills, but <laughs> you know, in video, but they watch the fashion. Of course they watch, you know, the behavior and what people say, of course, it's all kind of an ass kissing, uh, exercise. Um, you know, look, I've been in the, in that business for a very long time. I've gone to a few Oscars, uh, once with Russell Crowe and, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of politics around the Oscars. At the same time, they do celebrate the movies, and I love that aspect. You know, So again, what do people want out of their Oscar telecast? They wanna be close to those people, to the magic of the movie. So the metaverse version would have to be something that can bring them even closer, even more intimately in touch with the magic of cinema, with the magic of the people that make cinema, that star in cinema. And that I think is possible. I think there's a way of creating greater presence for each individual participant. They're not just viewers now. They're actually there participating. Everyone, in a sense, in a metaverse expression could be on stage with any of the things that would be going on on stage. They could could pull back to a God's eye view. They could have all these different perspectives, kind of almost like the live television director that is directing the Oscar telecast would have, you know, ha- does have with all of his camera positions that he's switching between. Uh, I I think that you know the metaverse version of the Oscars would put you in a greater presence with everything, and then there might be special interactive moments that can happen with. You know some of the stars and some of the people that make the films, and and there's ways of interfacing with uh, a deeper level of the of the information around the films, around the themes, around the performances. So it could be essentially a richer experience than just watching a flat telecast, which is going down and down and down in terms of viewership. Now uh, they just published today that it went up 600 of almost 600 k viewers right after the slap. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. If it bleeds, it leads. That's definitely been true of television. So, how can we do something to, you know, transmorph the concept of the Oscars and really make it fresh and new and celebrating what is really positive about it, which is the magic and and imagination of the movies and of cinema and of and of storytelling, global storytelling? Uh, which has become very much more diverse. I mean, I will give it to this. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, films like Drive My Car were uh, nominated for Best Picture as well as Best Foreign Film, won for Best Foreign Film. It is, by the way, an absolutely astonishingly good movie. It's my favorite movie that was represented there at the Oscars. It's three hours long. It's in Japanese. So for American audience, that's that might be a little bit um, challenging, but it is an amazingly beautiful, emotional cinematic uh, piece, a masterpiece really. And I think that there's great, you know, sort of forward momentum that's happened in those areas in terms of inclusivity, all of that. But the thing itself, the medium of television to to portray this is kind of, you know, that moment is gone. It's not like everyone's gathering and watching the Oscars anymore, only a, a sort of core diehard group. And we need to bring back that magic in what we would create in the context of a metaverse Oscars. Uh, what are your thoughts, Shannon?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so what would that even look like? So that would mean like going into a 3d space, you know, for those of you still confused on what the metaverse is, you know, it could, it could be on a, a screen or a virtual reality headset, but the, but the crux of it would be a three dimensional space where you have an avatar and you're exploring that space. But then, you know, and but we've seen so many basic implementations of this, even from meta slash Facebook's horizon worlds, or, you know, or, or even, you know, what Roblox is. And these are all very innovative products that have hundreds of thousands of users in the case of Robo- Roblox, millions of users. But it, you know, but that, that's kind of like all we have right now for what, the yeah, look, I think, it's like I it's think a 3d space where you go into it yeah. and you walk around, but is there, there has to be something else. The, the level of like interactivity, yeah, the level of yeah. Hey, look, uh, I, I think point. we're not
1: again. This is pointing to the fact we're not there with what this fully dimensionalized metaverse experience will be yet at all. Especially if it's going to be a virtual experience, virtual reality metaverse experience that's truly immersive. Uh, one of the things that could happen, as an example, you know, all of the actors, all of the presenters, they work for you know a week or two with writers to get to where they are knowing what they're going to be saying. Obviously, they're saying most of it off of a teleprompter. Uh, That whole show is written, right? Instead of doing that, they may be getting with an AI programmer that's programming their avatar in a way that would be able to respond to individuals wanting to interact with them uh, as, as their avatar. So of course, the person themselves could interact with you know, the billion people that would be experiencing the awards, but in many ways, an AI version of them could individually interact. So a lot of the the idea of the, the creativity that goes into the writing of a passive, you know, flat television show would go into the creation of an AI environment that would allow more interactivity for individuals, more presence for individuals to actually be connected to the people that they admire so much to be connected to uh, the, the the aspects of those personalities. Now, of course, maybe those AI personalities will be as much of an artifice as the you know the the characters they play in movies. I mean, we're talking about a shell game here. There's, you know, it's one dial nested in another nested in another. Where is the actual reality? <laughs> but of course, that's true of any artist, that's true of any depiction and performance. So uh, but the idea of having greater interactivity, I think, is the thing that this Oscar needs. We, it's kind of sitting back and just watching these people go up and say kind of the same you know acceptance speech that we've seen a thousand times is kind of dead. It's, it's, it's sort of over. I mean, last year, you know Steven Soderberg tried to innovate with the Oscars with a group of people and they tried this whole new kind of thing that just fell flat as a pancake. And and I thought it was actually, you know, something that at least we're trying innovation, but it didn't work with the the primary audience. And so I think the innovation needs to move in the dimensionalization of of something like this. What is an award show really at its core? It's more than just an ass-kissing exercise, which of course is part of it, but it's that ability to be intimate with the creativity, with the imagination of the medium you're celebrating. And I think that the metaverse could actually deliver that on a much, much deeper level than what television has done now for, for its, uh, its, its era. You know, we're moving out of the television era into a more dimensionalized era of the metaverse. And th- these things like what the Oscars look like at a further uh, episode, we're going to deal with what would an American presidential election look like in the metaverse? That's another thing. And of course, well, that could, that could be, yeah. uh, <laughs> that could be wild. I mean, exactly. This is, for me, I mean, this is why the stakes are high with this medium. It's not just going to be for award shows and entertainment, uh, you know, programming or entertainment uh, experiences, but it's going to also be for fundamental experiences that relate to how we interact as human beings in a representative democracy. And we've already seen these training wheels of the metaverse, the social media platforms and all that, as we've talked about previously, you know, representing a way that very quickly change the nature of representative democracy. So, you know, when we're thinking about the metaverse, everyone, we're thinking about something that really is going to be affecting many, many aspects of daily human interaction, not just these sort of special events like the Oscars or even a presidential election, but how you relate to your family, how you relate to people that you've been connected with, just like Facebook changed the nature of those those relationships to a certain degree, and that's one of the reasons I think uh, Zuckerberg is jumping into this because he realizes that's what Facebook was, that's what it you know sort of pointed to as a business model, where of course he was productizing us. Uh, now the metaverse is the next you know dimension, literally the next dimension of that kind of expression, um, and so this just shows the how you know how deeply the stakes. Are embedded in this entire idea of what the F is the metaverse, and yet we're
0: still pretty far out. You know, I mean, there's that's the question that even Mark is you know has trouble answering, which is how far away are we until there's kind of mass adoption? And there's been success with the MetaQuest two headset, but there's still there's still a long way to go until the Academy Awards could be seen by a mass audience in a three dimensional space. Because this the, the hardware hasn't been deployed, and, and even even the MetaQuest 2 has limitations, which it's it's an amazing product, but we've already discussed this yes. kind of
1: yeah. No, this you know, is little... kind of
0: a heavy and it's it even though it's the lightest one really ever, it's very lightweight compared to past models, but it's still kind of clunky and you have to set it up for a few minutes. Once you set it up, it yeah. is really great. But that setup time is a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people. So, but here's one thing: here this is interesting. The Harris yes. Poll revealed that 7 in 10 Gen Z are interested in the metaverse ecosystem. 7 wow. out of 10 Gen Z. So if the Oscars want to get a younger audience, yes, exactly. they might be they might be exactly. forced to do this. They might be forced to exactly. get into metaverse technology. But you know, they might have to have a, a broadcast at the same time that is on a television and then the metaverse broadcast, maybe maybe that's broadcasted from the metaverse. Maybe they're actually recording from the metaverse, which then can be broadcasted to other formats. But still, it's like, how far do you think? I mean, that's even Mark struggles with this. But, Dad, what do you think? How far away? I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's like, is it five years? Is it two years until the Oscars could be
1: in the metaverse? I think you're going to start seeing expressions of this kind of thing. Not like, and now the Oscars are coming completely from the metaverse. I think that's five years away. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really. Yeah. I, I I think it's going to happen quicker than people imagine because now there's a couple of different things. The market forces of just like you said, Gen Z, seven out of ten. What I mean, that's a market force that's huge that will yeah. make this happen. They have to existentially move into move into these new immersive media and and these new experiences because. Uh, they the market is moving there. The, the generational component of this, which is why we're having this intergenerational conversation, is very, very, very profound. Um, and then secondly, the you know, technical infrastructure, web three is one of the you know buzzwords that's used to express that. A lot of money is going to that technical infrastructure right now. And when hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, into billions of dollars is going to something, it makes it happen. And so those different, you know, market forces working in concert with each other are going to move this faster than you think. I think a couple of years from now, you're going to start seeing much more significant uh, interface with especially younger audiences, younger participant sets, because really you're not an audience anymore in the metaverse. You're actually participating in something that's a world, uh, you know, that are going to be embedded in most of the verticals of entertainment and even other aspects of human interaction. So I think we're we're two years away from that really beginning to sort of like be something much more ubiquitous, and then five years away from it becoming something that's really at embedded in the culture. Um, and that will be the beginning of that era. You know, so we're, we're still in the transition right now, which is why we're talking about it this way. That's why we're asking the question, you know, it's like, there's, there's a lot to be figured out. And we need, you know, I just think these discussions need to happen before it's fully in place instead of after, because when you have all these discussions after, uh, a lot of things just happen sometimes ad hoc or through primal forces that are not necessarily positive with a medium like this.
0: Well, I think, I think a lot of people might be surprised by the five year horizon because five years almost, you know, that sounds like pretty, I mean, that's, that's a solid amount of time, but for this company, transition to take place i think a lot of people would be like five years that's so soon but then and even myself i feel like well maybe it could be seven years maybe it could be six years but you got to look at the data i mean another another thing that just came out is that nike's metaverse store which is in the roblox platform which i mentioned earlier that this three dimensional world building it's mostly for video games but it's kind of a it's a, it allows anyone to kind of build their own three-dimensional world. So in Roblox, Nike's Metaverse store had nearly 7 million visitors from around the world over the span of five months. So, right. I mean, you know, 7 million people in five months are going in to the Nike's virtual store. I mean, there was also the Metaverse Fashion Week, which happened in Decentraland uh, that was getting a lot of press. And yes. so, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting data around just that you know it really is there's a lot of people going already even though like we've discussed reporters seem to be claiming like oh the metaverse isn't here yet but the if you if you look at what's happening there's a lot of people using the metaverse every day every month yeah
1: here and here i I totally agree with that but also you got to look at the fact that this thing doesn't move forward necessarily in a linear fashion it, it goes, and suddenly there's plateau leaps. Uh, that's yeah. the example. You know, that's an example of what happened with the smartphone. Smartphones were a gimmick before the iPhone, right? They were something that was for businessmen, the Palm Pilot, you know, all of those things. They, they, they were, you know, sort of poo pooed as well. This is a niche market, uh, although you know something that's very interesting and innovative. And then the iPhone, and this is of course how Steve Jobs became the sort of deity of Steve Jobs is like, because he basically created a plateau leap with the smartphone uh, that came out of the iPod. You know, there was, there was a progression there, but it was a very big leap to where suddenly everything was different and people couldn't imagine not having that level of interaction with this brick in our pocket, you know, and, and that happened much quicker than a lot of the prognosticators thought it would, because of that plateau leap that Jobs afforded uh, through the yeah. iPhone. You know, so there is going to be plateau leaps that will happen. I believe in the next stretch of years, uh, the next five years, that will that will significantly take us ahead in the context of really dimensionalizing the metaverse experience for more and more people. Now, one of those things. That I'm tracking a bit, which is t- just blowing my mind, is the AI component, the 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 ability of AI to be part of the generation of worlds and imagination in the metaverse. Yeah,
0: yeah that, that seems like a big part of it.
1: And and it, it is the thing. It's the secret sauce. It's the thing that will really supercharge and actually make actually give efficacy to the idea of generating worlds at the level we're talking about without AI generation, without AI management, without, you know, AI becoming a a machine intelligence within the network of human interaction. Again, in collaboration with human interaction, there's no way we can create a functional metaverse without that. Uh, It doesn't work by the old rules of media production or content creation, et cetera. It needs to have, for lack of a better term, auto-generation for a lot of the components. Auto-generation, though, coming out of the analysis of what the participants are doing and what they want and what that group mind wants to see and wants to create. And so realizing that those stakes are very high for what we're creating as a group mind, because the AI is going to augment that and extend that, And in many ways, augmented intelligence and extended intelligence are what AI is more than artificial. Well, that's why,
0: yeah. I mean, Facebook is building, Facebook slash Meta is building the the most powerful supercomputer in the world right now. And it's all dedicated to AI.
1: That's right. Yeah,
0: And, you know, and they just, we even discussed some of their recent projects where you're able to just, talk to the assistant, and the assistant will build the virtual world for you. So you can say, hey, generate a beach, generate a picnic table, and right. then those things are just created in a virtual world space.
1: Exactly, um, and that's so, already yeah, I mean, happening they, right they now. So when I when I talk about going and being able to hang out with an AI version of a, of a movie star, uh, to be really prosaic about it, it sounds, oh, that sounds very futuristic and sci-fi. It's not actually that far away. It really isn't. Yeah, because the AI is moving so rapidly, which, of course, scares a lot of people. Uh, I can, in the middle of the night, wake up and be scared by it, thinking about it myself. But at the same time, from a storytelling standpoint, I think it's important for us to tell stories that are positive around the expression and advancement and expansion of of AI, of augmenting our intelligence and extending it, not creating something that's artificial and cold and non-human, which is, tends to be what people think of as AI, and you know many things in this world become self-fulfilling prophecies, especially when a story grabs hold. So we need to move away from the self-fulfilling prophecy of of you know negative you know humanity destroying AI, and see that much more likely is the fact that AI will be something that's an incredibly positive aspect of human interaction, and I think that that can be our focus, can be the focus of the story we tell around it. And that's one of the things I want to encourage everyone getting into the space and getting interested in it, especially the young people, to jump into those aspects, to jump into what is AI, how is that developing? How can we, uh, you know, create it in a way that's reflecting the better angels of our nature, the, reflecting the better aspects of the human story? Um, and, you know, that can even happen for something as sort of frivolous as the Oscars. The Oscars could become more meaningful than they are as a telecast in the metaverse, especially given, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, everything needs to evolve and become more than it, you know, even part of capitalism expansion and more is more, right? Well, more can also be the idea of more evolved, of more, you know, a deeper experience, a more meaningful experience. And humans are attracted to that in general, no matter what their sensibility. And so, if we can have these tools that are coming together to form the metaverse reflect that, I think we have a shot at something very, very, you know, very magical, uh, yeah. that can, can make yeah. more magical. I think most
0: people, I think yeah. most people are, are kind of afraid of artificial intelligence. Uh, um, yeah. and, and yeah. there's, there's actually a piece of news that came out. Maybe we could, we could discuss around this where, uh, Snapchat, bought a brain computer interface startup yep. that they might use for future augmented reality glasses. So what that, that means <laughs> is that it's a head, it's a headband that allows you to control virtual objects with your thoughts. And so what, what would happen when the artificial intelligence can actually see into your brain?
1: <laughs> you know, I know. And, well, let me um, tell you, look, Shannon, yeah. you have been, I watched you as you've grown up be an early adopter of nearly everything like this. Yeah. Um, and you didn't. You never seem to have, from the context of who you are as an individual, and also from the context of your generation, you never seem to have a, a real fear of any of these things. You've embraced them. You were one of the first people to get the Snapchat spectacles. Yeah, uh, you know. I remember you had to go stand in line at a machine <laughs> to get. Oh yeah, them. those, <laughs> those kiosks—they dropped. the kiosks yeah. where people had to stand in line at a kiosk to get. I mean, but then it was you, a
0: failure, actually. I mean, they they lost a lot of money on it. But yeah. what's interesting is that Evan Spiegel, the 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 CEO and founder of Snapchat, has continued investing in that technology yes. because he sees the future of augmented reality. And their latest version of spectacles is, you know, is is. Integrating more of those elements, where you can, you can actually. The, well, the latest version is not really even open to the public. It's actually a, kind of a developer preview, but it does. It's a, it's true augmented reality glasses, and it, it's for developers to start building augmented reality experiences where you put these glasses on and you actually see, uh, you see things in front of you that aren't there, yes. floating. And yep. now they're they just bought this company, based out of Paris. Um, and what's called, it's called next mind and the, it uses sensors on the head to yep. non-invasively measure activity in the brain, uh, with the aid of machine learning, which is different from, uh, Elon, Musk's Elon Neuralink Musk, link approach, Neuralink, right. which right. is actually like implanted in your brain. Yeah, so this is, this is non-invasive, <laughs> which is probably better <laughs> for some, you know, I think the medic for medical purposes, you might need it to be implanted in your brain but yeah. for these more passive experiences where you're just kind of controlling things i mean they, they say you could actually have gamers control a, a navigation or even unlock passwords with your brain um, yeah is some of the I mean, what, what we're cases. basically
1: saying is that the future of the metaverse is that the metaverse will probably move at the speed of thought more yeah. than the speed of sound more than even the speed of light the speed of thought And that's that's a very human thing because obviously our thoughts every day form who we are, what we're doing, how we interface with the world. Many people think our thoughts form reality itself. Of course, that gets into simulation theory, which we won't go into too deeply here. But you know that that concept of moving things at the speed of thought more than uh, this clunky, you know, point and click, swipe and scroll kind of interface we have now uh, with computing is really where computing has always been going. It's always been going to become a digital twin of our neurological processes. And yeah. the metaverse, we talk about it being a digital twin of the world. We're really, at the core, we're creating a digital twin of us, a digital twin of, of what is humanness. And AI, of course, fits into the operability of that. Uh, These devices, like you're talking about, you know, fit into the physical component of interface with that concept. But, you know, what I want to ask you, Josh, just since your generations, your age and who you are, does any of this scare you? Are you – but you're just – are you wanting just to adopt it as quickly as possible, which seems from the outside to be what I've I've experienced with you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely – I don't know. I feel. I feel there's a there's kind of a, a backlash for for the for the technology technology uh, technology improvements over time. You know, there's kind of a backlash to social media, and you know the the dinner table conversations around the use of of technology usually is in kind of a, a negative connotation. And yet, we've witnessed how these things have taken over culture, and they've kind of taken over the world. I think. For a lot of young people, it's, it's not necessarily that they're all positive or all negative, but it's just kind of the status quo now. And you just kind of have to accept it. Right. Um, well, that, and, that's what I mean. That, that,
1: you know, my, my generation, the status quo was you get a car at 16 and that gives you freedom, right? Yeah. Uh, that's not what's happening with your generation or especially the generation coming up after you. Um, it's the freedom is much more in this technology and how it how it's extending our human experience into the metaverse that really sort of is becoming the you know the, the the landscape of freedom in a sense
0: yeah yeah I think some young people are more into technology than other young people however and I personally I've always been someone who is fascinated by technology and I've definitely been an optimist in terms of where I could go. But as I've gotten older, I've realized how sometimes it gets lost in translation. If you're a technology optimist, people take that in certain ways and they, they'll they kind of label you as, oh, okay, well then you're for just no privacy and them controlling your emotions with with the technology. And, and yeah. I think there's a lot more nuance there. You can be technology optimist, but also be aware of the downsides of it as well. Um, but no Absolutely. matter who you are, no matter I, – I think pretty much all young people acknowledge that it is just what's happening right now and that you have to learn how to deal with it. You have to learn how to navigate yeah. the internet in a safe way. You have exactly. to yeah, exactly. and, you know,
1: use these technologies. Yeah, just just like my generation and the generation before me and the you – know, they dealt with the automobile. And there was all kinds of negatives and people were dying and it was brutal and limbs on the highway. I mean, it was just, I mean, was, that's still happening. Yeah, it's still happening. Right. So it's not that, you know, humans will, you know, especially generation to generation adapt to technology as much as technology is made to adapt to us. Yeah. That's and so, That's
0: why I've always been so uh, a proponent of autonomous driving and autonomous cars, I think it's really just because it'll be safer. And that's kind of, that's the the instinct of most people is like, oh, I'd be scared to be an autonomous vehicle. But really, if you look at the data, you know, almost over 90% of car accidents are human error. And yeah. one point, over 1.2 million people die in car accidents every year. So if we take out that 90% of human error, yes, there's still going to be 10% where maybe it is a software glitch that just sends the car flying off a bridge. And, and, and here's the thing but, about that. But, and that'll be scary, that. but it's going to be so much less. It's going to be a lot <laughs> safer than it, than it used to be when humans were able to drive cars.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something about that software glitch idea, though, that drives people like myself crazy. It's like, I'd rather <laughs> be the one making the mistake that, you know, puts me into an accident than a software glitch where I have really? no control but, at all. It's like you know when but you're flying wha- a if, plane. But you're... what if
0: you? But what if it's a lot less of a chance
1: that that? Yeah, but could I know, I know. It's the same thing I feel when I'm flying in an airplane, which I know statistically is way more safe than driving a car. And the statistics are so small that something's going to happen where I would lose my life. You know, and yet when you're up there in that plane, you have no control. Something mechanically goes wrong with it and you plunge into the ground. You are just along for the ride. You know, it's, it's, it's something That's about air, that, yeah. that, you know, and again, this may be generational. It's, it's, you know, we. I grew up in a generation that had more direct control of technology, even the, you know, the automation of flight now. I mean, most, you know, on airplanes primarily are flown by AI. Yeah, well I was
0: I was about to mention that actually yeah. some of the recent crashes oh, yeah. of planes were because of the software.
1: That's, and it looks like more and more and more, yeah, that's what's happening. That the sophistication, and yet it's still the
0: safest and yet it's still the safest
1: yep. way to yep. travel besides exactly. maybe trains. So, so look, it's it's not that yeah. I won't I won't embrace it as it comes in because I, I think and this is a question I want to ask, do you see autonomous cars in essence being a part of this overall Metaverse phenomenon. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, we—I think we briefly touched on it on one of our past episodes, but I think it's going to be a huge part of the the metaverse because you know it's going to be a full, especially when it's autonomous. It could the whole car could be, especially you could be surrounded in screens, and you could even put on you know glasses that make it kind of a three dimensional experience with in concert with the screens. And then as you're traveling from Los Angeles to San Francisco, you could be experiencing w- what Hawaii is like, or you could be in a conference room, or you could be, you know, creating a, a song with, with creative tools or editing a video. So it's so much more reclaimed time. And, you know, and, and for those who think, oh, well, autonomous vehicles might be far off, they're already really here. I mean, they're, they're already driving around San Francisco in public in a public form, you can actually re- get a company called Cruise, which has kind of been bought and sold by various car companies and technology companies. Yeah. But I think now one of the one of the big American car companies has a has a big investment in it. And you just tap on a button, and a an autonomous vehicle will show up in San Francisco, pick you up, and that happens today. You can do that today. I mean, there's a waiting list because they're still rolling it out, but you know, this is real. And, and there have been cases when these vehicles are causing problems, and sometimes already, you know, injuring people. Yes. Um, and then of course, there's Tesla, which is famously claims that they're full self driving technology. I mean, they call it full self driving. But really, it's not there yet. And, you know, I, I thought this was going to happen. This is one of the reasons I'm like, not sure when the metaverse will fully be adopted, because I thought autonomous vehicles was going to be arrived so much sooner. Like I thought it was going to, you know, in 2020, I thought it would be kind of a normal thing, but here we are in 2022 and we're still kind of figuring out
1: the, the details on it. And there's also legislation and there's a political will uh, aspect that needs, you know, there's part of the, you know, how does the body politic uh, absorb, you know, autonomous vehicles? And, you know, there's, there's even, you know, autonomous uh, self-flying taxis that fly, that are that are initiatives that are being uh, created right now uh you know in certain cities uh that's actually happening right now as well the idea of you know creating automated little helicopters that drive you you know fly yeah. you around with well, like taxis
0: uber, <laughs> uber famously was going to do that but then then they had to sell off that division because
1: <laughs> yeah but <they're, laughs> the there there's too. a couple companies i know that are yeah. doing it in two different cities now they're 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 actually doing the test you know, obviously, there's yeah. still some legislative things to, uh, you know, to overcome. But it, it is, I, look, I think one of the things I'm looking at why I, f- I feel that we're in a five year, more than a 10 or 15 year, uh, you know, range on this is because a lot of money's going into this. A lot of money's chasing this uh, when it's not even that well defined, when people are still saying, yeah. what the F is the metaverse? There's, I mean, literally, yeah. while, you know, all this Web3 technology is being, you know, and then there's also just this entire idea of blockchain and crypto and NFTs, which are connected to the concept of the metaverse. And, you know, just this week, there was uh, another uh, uh, item of news, Shannon, why don't you give, give that item of news, which is, of course, on the negative side of things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in addition to the environmental impacts of different blockchains, such as Ethereum, You know, they're also being hacked and not the actual blockchain themselves. The cryptocurrencies are incredibly hard to to hack the the actual blockchains, which means like the underlying protocol used to to make the cryptocurrency work. But there's something called smart contracts, which essentially is you can think of smart contracts like applications, you know, on on your computer, you launch an application. So think of the computer as the cryptocurrency and then the applications Kind of exist within that computer, yes. and there is there is a one of the the second biggest crypto hack ever just happened, as re- reported by Forbes. It was a six hundred million dollar hack. Uh, it was all, all of the Ethereum was stolen from an NFT gaming blockchain called Ronin, and you know it's this is we're talking about hundreds of thousands of ether tokens being stolen and just drained from the platform after an attacker used the hacked private keys to forge fake withdrawals. So right. this, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to make these smart contracts a lot more secure and how to, how to make it so that this, and this is not the, this is just the latest of these type of hacks that happen. And, you know, so, so the it's, so, it's, it's, it's it, in ways, well, isn't it true? Isn't along, it but yeah, isn't it days. true though?
1: That most of uh, many of the hacks, I, I mean, I've been following them in the news as well. You know, obviously it goes back to Mount Docs, you know, and and what happened there, um, which was the first big, you know, sort of, you know, infamous. Yeah,
0: and that was a centralized exchange.
1: That yes. got hacked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but most of the hacks have been repaid. Most of them get caught. I mean, there was just a couple that got you know got caught with over one point six billion dollars of. Uh, in a crypto hack, you know, was significant, you know, sort of uh, enforcement has also been starting to happen. And look, the way I know that this is real, you know, people saying, oh, crypto is not real. You can't have $600 million hacks if something's not real. (laughs) You know, the bank, I mean, if the fact that there were, you know, big heists in the banking system meant the banking system was actually real and there was value in there. So, you know, the fact that there is this level of criminality going on, uh, shows you that there's something real going on as well, you know, and,
0: uh, yeah, the technology, the technology on itself, yeah. there's, there's a lot of deep mathematics yeah. and cryptography. That's where the word crypto comes from. Cryptography. Yeah. That's very, this is, this is all, you know, discussed by universities and governments, China just rolled out their own cryptocurrency, which is a, you know, it's a centralized cryptocurrency, but it, you know, so yes, this is, it's very real and, it, and it's happening. However, it's interesting you noted, though, that a lot of these have been recovered, which is true. But the reason that they've been able to be recovered was mostly sometimes just because the hackers just gave the money back because they felt bad. I know. I know. And That's weird. They like the to
1: go, OK, I'll give back the $500 million. I mean.
0: <laughs> but other times it was because of these centralized exchanges. So the whole the whole thing of cryptocurrencies were trying, you know, one of the main modus operandi one of the main benefits of it is that a lot of the the people who support cryptocurrency is that it's decentralizing control so yeah. the control can't be by any one person but what happens when you decentralize control is that then it makes it easier for these hacks to happen so a lot of these hacks have been have been kind of thwarted by them actually going to all the centralized exchanges like places like coinbase and Gemini, these centralized exchanges, say, "Oh, please, please make this address a a erroneous address and then then that's you know sort of the centralized model you're able to stop it, which is actually why a lot of cryptocurrencies, such as one that is really fighting on the environmental effort, uh which I mentioned on a previous episode called Chia which I'm not I'm not invested in it so I'm not talking about it because I'm invested in it <laughs> and, and I'm not invested in any cryptocurrencies by the way but this one Chia is really interesting because it's first of all it's it's using underlying protocols that does not have an impact on the environment in the same way as these other blockchains so it's way, it's much more environmentally friendly and second of all it has things in place that are typical uh, in the banking industry, such as r- being able to reverse transactions,
1: yes, and, yeah. and
0: and and things like that, which you just cannot do with Bitcoin or Ethereum. It's impossible to reverse a transaction on Bitcoin. Right. So, so there is, there has to be some evolution yeah, in the well, way that these are designed because but you know the, of, yeah
1: yeah the evolution is in this idea you know de- decentralization DeFi which means decentralized finance. Uh, even the concept of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, as opposed to a traditional corporate structure. These are very difficult things to figure out because they're going in a countervailing direction to the way human, you know, nature formed a lot of organizations over the, you know, the history of our species. And we're really trying to figure out something very new. I mean, the whole idea of decentralization is very new. I've 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 heard of there's there's people that are deeply in the DAO space, and they're you know figuring this out is not a small thing. Figuring out True. the governance of how it works with humans and decentralization of governance is a is not a small you know leap uh, of of the whole paradigm of decision making and how groups and the group mind can actually positively move forward. I mean this this is yeah. That, that's the yeah. real revolution, though. That's what's really exciting, is that we're in a moment where that, you know, figuring that out, if we can figure that out, we can actually shift some of the things that have been in the primal nature of human organization that haven't hasn't worked, and we can actually evolve it to something that works even better. But we're going to go through this period of, you know, tremendous transition, where a lot of it's going to screw up. I mean, yeah, that's, there's a paradox. Now,
0: yeah, There's a yeah. big paradox there, because a lot of those, you know, the people who are Bitcoin maximalists and the people who really support the decentralization of cryptocurrencies, they would hear what I just said about the ability to reverse transactions. And they would say, oh, well, then that has to be centralized. And then they would say, oh, well, that that can't be possible in a truly decentralized system. So there's a lot of paradoxes on how do we create a safe system that actually has checks and balances in place? And how do we create a decentralized system? And Just like you said, there's no easy answers for that right now.
1: Well, one one area that I think, and again, I'm not saying I have the answers for this at all, but this one area that I think is going to be the sort of operability aspect is going to be in this idea of AI, this idea of augmenting our human intelligence to manage something in a different way that has... You know this whole idea of even a trustless network, a trustless AI. I mean, you, you, there's only trust in it because of the nature of how the AI, the AI was grown, the, the way it was raised. Literally, uh, wow. and you yeah. know, if you if you if you think about, I mean, if you talk to AI scientists, they talk about their AI that way that that they're raising their AI. Uh, you know, just like they're raising, uh, uh, you know progeny (laughs) so it's it's a very could
0: could the oscars could the oscars because you know the oscars are chosen by an academy do you think decentralized autonomous organizations could be used to actually pick the movies
1: well as long as 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 there's a well as long as there's a hollywood of any sort there's going to be a political structure around the academy of how those things get chosen and it's a very political thing i mean i I, I, i i won't get into the the deep nugglies of that, because that's a whole other kind of. Well, podcast.
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, it does but, there need to be innovation there? And could there be an almost like an alter? Would, would the Oscars kind of fade away when there's an alternate version of a film awards program that happens in the metaverse and is actually chosen by by a decentralized autonomous organization? You know. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: I mean, it, it, making the Academy a DAO—that's a really. Interesting idea. Now, of yeah. course, in the Dow, there would be probably governance that would have AI as a component. But again, uh, there's going to be a real, you know, desire to keep humanness in the context of this kind of thing. And at the same time, the elitism of Hollywood, the elitism of the fine art world, all of these things have not been necessarily you know, a positive in the way in which art and humans and imagination have. No, not yeah, been, not at all. <laughs> not at all. You know, and I mean, you know, I don't know if you've seen, there's been a few podcasts and also programs and documentaries about some of the big art frauds that happened over the last 30 years that are just really coming to light as a sort of mainstream thing, which is these fakes were created that, you know, people sold like they were originals. But then the question becomes, the fakes were so good, they were, Almost as good as the original artist's work. And what is the difference? <laughs> you know, it's sort of it's sort of a, a an existential question comes out of it. Wow. That and, and is it because these small group of people, this elite group, decided who was cool as an artist and who wasn't? And so, in a way, were the fakes just a disruption of that elitist culture. You know, it was also taking advantage of that elitist culture because people would. You know, magnify and 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 uh, amplify the, you know, the value of something uh, purely through a political network of of perception and fakery. You know, and so you know the, these things bring into into question deep existential questions around how we judge things as humans. And the que- you know, the larger question of the metaverse is: Can the metaverse be constructed as something as a place? As as a world or a series of worlds, as a multiverse of worlds, really, where we can have a greater wisdom around how we interact as humans, and can AI be part of the solution, not the problem? Now, will negative things happen with all of this? Of course, we're going. I mean, there's nothing. You know, this is a full spectrum uh, planet we're on. A full spectrum species. The from the the most negative to the most positive happens every day, and. You know, even if so, the metaverse his-
0: might be just kind of a reflection of that. You know, yeah, unless there's, you know, and and maybe there's different worlds where you can kind of pick and choose where there is a world that's more moderated by AI and is more sanguine, and then there's yes. other worlds that are constantly in turmoil, and you know that could be that. Yeah, it's it's hard to predict. It, it it's hard it's hard to say it would go in any one direction. I mean, I agree with you though. I really hope that AI is a is a is an, provides the ability. It's you know, AI, I, and I'm not saying by the way,
1: but I don't think it's going to be a panacea. I'm not I'm not thinking oh AI is going to solve everything. <laughs> yeah, not even a little bit. I think it's going to be a tremendously challenging thing. But in talking with and in interacting with you know AI scientists out there and reading what's going on as well and studying and researching it, it is a very very exciting dynamic area, and the people that are involved in it. Really, do many of them understand the stakes? Understand that these questions that we're bringing up really need to be central to how this is developed. Uh, you know, more so than in you know the development of something like the you know the atomic bomb. I mean, we we rushed because of World War II in the construction of the atomic bomb, and you know many of the creators of the atomic bomb, especially Oppenheimer himself, was very disillusioned with the fact that he was even involved in that. Um, so we don't want the metaverse to be the equivalent of what we did with, you know, nuclear fission.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the metaverse is, could impact the physical world. You know, the metaverse might actually eat the physical world a lot more than people might, you know, there's the, I think it was the New York fire department just bought a whole bunch of these robot dogs that were developed by Boston dynamics and, These robot dogs can be controlled by a remote control. However, they use their own mind, they use artificial intelligence to figure out what to do with that input. So if you say go forward, it'll go forward, but if there's a wall there, it'll go around the wall autonomously. So the more and more we live in the metaverse, these things might start affecting the real world. Like there'll be metaverse-powered robots that are actually physical and are going and doing tasks and you might have to avoid on the streets or, you know, deal with at a security checkpoint.
1: And yeah, you know, that, I mean, that I mean, sounds that, very dystopian in some ways, but, well, you know, maybe. this, maybe, this concept of yeah. the Internet of Things has been with us for, you know, qu- quite a while now. and you Yeah, know, so, it's so it's all
0: linking together. And that need, really is yeah. another
1: aspect of the net metaverse, by the way. We haven't really mentioned that, you know, but IOT or Internet of Things is part of this connectivity between everything that is a digital world sitting within and on top of or however you want to visualize it the real world and the truth is at some point there's not going to be much of a distinction between that what we call the real world now and this metaverse and i believe generationally let's say for children that are being born right now from this point on there's not going to be much of a distinction they're going to think of the metaverse as just part of the quote-unquote real world They're not going to have this like, oh, there was this time that that didn't exist. So this is this new thing. It's going to just be organically native to their, you know, their experience and their expression of themselves in the in the quote unquote real world.
0: Or even further, or even further, the digital world will be their real world. And this world is going to be the world that they consider
1: less real. Which is terrifying on some yeah. levels. Uh, you know, that that's, I mean, I, I if I can't get out to real nature, uh, I kind of go crazy. So I think that we yeah, need to too. make, and of course, with, you know, climate change and these, these radical things that we're doing to change the biosphere of the planet, um, there seems to be a negative trend in that direction. I mean, the stuff I've been reading about the Amazon and how much of it's being burned down and we're reaching a point of no return. I mean, it's, that's the most terrifying thing that's going on, even more terrifying than the war that's going on. There's a larger thing because we're basically- Well, I mean, knowing, the
0: war is pretty terrifying too. I mean, there's, there's it's like very terrifying, and, but, but the more terrifying
1: and, yeah. is the nature of the entire biosphere of the planet being completely changed and modified by human activity and humans don't have the evolutionary awareness well, them there's, to a, really there's, actually
0: a, there's a movement going on called OK Doomer and the OK Doomer movement is uh, is is by young people basically saying it's it's time to stop being so pessimistic about what we can do about the environment. And it's it's you know, there. Yes, there's a lot of problems. We're aware of the problems, but there's a lot of technology and there's a lot of solutions. We're not going to solve these environmental problems by being doom and gloom about it we actually have to start being proactive and i totally agree you know, i totally agree so we, think, we look, don't want to be an okay doomer
1: <laughs> no no i mean i mean okay look i totally think that you know i've talked a bit about you know i've told dystopian stories in the past as a storyteller yeah. and really we need utopian stories and i believe that those utopian stories are the solution uh, the solution narrative as opposed to the problem narrative is going to be more attractive, especially to a younger generation of people, because it's just, you know, it it can't go any further into the negative. And uh, and there's
0: carbon, yeah, carbon removal projects. There's actually a lot of amazing technologies that are happening, and of course, the blockchain and cryptocurrencies right now are negatively impacting the environment. So I agree with you, like we have to, we have to call attention to that. Um, and then, of course, I mean, the war is also not helping that environmental no. problem either. I mean, that and and just the 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 genocide, the the you know, is this it's bad. I mean, it's 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 all really. It's we have to find a way to, and then, you know, but the internet is kind of counteracting that. The internet is exposing that to the world, and we're all seeing the atrocities that that Putin is is doing, and 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 we're that's that's not happening in the dark because the internet is exposing that to the whole world. Yes. And, you know, I don't know if, who knows how it's going to end and, you know, but it, it, at least, at least we're able to have some, you know, with these sanctions that are pretty harsh, you know, at least that, you know, I don't know. It, it, we're, we're trying to move to, I mean, it's it's hard. It is hard though. It's hard to be fully optimistic in a world that is very doom. And I see why the younger people are saying, okay, doomer. But at the same time, it's just maybe that's just a byproduct of all these really doom and gloom things that are actually happening. So, of course, yeah. You know, and, and also, the, neg-
1: the the narrative around it is so mostly hopeless. You know, there's not a lot of solutions being given when, as you said, there actually are a lot of solutions that are just beyond the horizon for us. And I think that young people have a, a better sense of that. A matter of fact, I need, you know, as my generation needs to follow the young people, you know, people like, uh, uh, that, you know, Grunberg and, you know, the, the, the young woman who's uh, the Swedish young woman, who's just, you know, putting it out there, even though she's controversial figure. Uh, she's an amazing, you know, bellwether of just like, we've got to focus on this people, you know, and, and tell a different story. I mean, what, to me, the, the giant, you know, sort of cry is to tell a different story, tell a different story around war. I mean, even, you know, the, 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 the sort of, you know, bifurcation of, of there's a good and evil side in this war. I mean, the truth is underneath it all, there's a giant infrastructure, economic, geopolitical infrastructure that creates the, you know, the, the the environment for something like this to happen, just like there was at the beginning of both other world wars that began. And hopefully this won't be a full world war, but in a way it's already a cyber world war going on, as we've talked about before, you know, yeah. and, and, and so you know, we, we need to shift the narrative. And I look, I think on that point of the okay. Doomers and the fact that there's young people that are saying, let's, let's not be focused that way. That is the hope for my generation. That's the hope for me. And I hope to just serve that, uh, as much as is possible as a storyteller and as a person who wants to support, you know, the positive development of these technologies and of these creative imaginative worlds, uh, you know, and so we, that-
0: and we, yeah. I mean, we, and all, and one thing, piece of technology news that's come out too is, it's science news. Is is we we want to create this better world because we're going to be living a lot longer. There's something
1: called
0: yeah. Yamanuka factor based cell reprogramming. I don't know if yes. you've heard about this. Yes. which yeah. is essentially the fountain of youth, and it's yeah. been a lot of you know. There's Google has invested one billion into Calico. Um, and there's, there's a lot, which is a project focused on similar therapies, but there's a lot of innovation in Yamanuka factor based cell reprogramming that's happened within the past year that has, it basically is going to be interesting when, when there is an option to live a lot longer, um, and potentially essentially actually reverse your aging (laughs) on a cellular level
1: look there's actually a lot of technology and and initiatives going on out there that most people don't know about that are v- that's very much in this direction longevity and even the idea of physical immortality of uploading yourself i mean these things that have been science fiction concepts for a very long time are becoming things that real science is actually addressing yeah. and and that means in a way that's part of this metaverse idea the idea that we will be something expanded, this the idea of transhumanism, the idea that we're going to be a larger version of ourselves connected to, you know, again, for lack of a better term, this digital twin, this digital reality. Um, I think the word digital will become sort of obsolete at some point, and we'll have different languaging around it. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's where we're at right now in the languaging. And I think all of those things combined are part of this idea of we're moving into a new world of the metaverse. And that's why there's such a focus on it because we feel like in, in many ways, I think even the business interests feel there's hope in that. And, yeah. and you know, there are of course a lot of negative potentials that we need to be very aware of. Again, the stakes are high, but the hope is I think at the center of why this is such a movement right now. Um, just like there's the hope of of decentralization, the hope of DeFi, the hope of new forms of, of value with NFTs and cryptocurrency. All of this is a very hopeful idea. Many people will say stupidly optimistic or naive, but there's others that'll say, well, what are we going to do? De-evolve or are we going to evolve? And so hopefully the metaverse will be an evolutionary uh, you know, force. And that's, I think, why we want the discussion to always be focused in that direction just like we're doing here on this podcast what the f is the metaverse always love exploring these things with you and uh it gives me both sometimes terror and also hope
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's true this is i mean like we discussed these technologies are inevitable in many ways so let's uh you know let's let's keep discussing and
1: every week we'll be back with more updates my signing off i love you son
0: I love you too, Dan. For anyone who has enjoyed listening, we really appreciate five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Special thanks to Greg Leonard for the original theme, music for What the F is the Metaverse.